right, everybody, welcome to this week's Learning the Tropes. I'm Erin. I'm Clayton. And I'm your roommate, Salvo veteran. And I'm the virgin. And we're your hosts. Hi, Clayton. Hey, Erin. <laughs> How you doing? Oh, you know, I'm okay. How are you? Good. I mean, I think everybody right now, we're recording on uh, election day. So I feel like everybody is just like, there's an air of tension in the air. Everyone's a little bit nervous. But I'm very happy that we sort of packed our day with this recording and other things. So it's like, just to not pay attention. Uh, and definitely just to sort of wait until all the votes are are in and counted. And then and then we find out what the what the future holds. We got a big, big show. Mm-hmm. Because this is the beginning of our Bridgerton series of reviews. Mm-hmm. Well, we did already read Romancing Mr. Bridgerton, so we already read the fourth story, the fourth book, and now we're going back to the beginning. We're doing a rewind. I think when I picked Romancing Mr. Bridgerton, it, I, it didn't occur to me that we would do an entire reread of the Bridgerton series because it is so long. But then I was like, yeah, well, actually, why not? Let's do it. Everyone loves yeah. the Bridgertons. And this way, I can't be spoiled. Well, I will be spoiled for the show, but the show won't spoil me. Exactly. Exactly right. Well, and the, but the thing about the show is, so apparently the show, like, um, information about the show is very tight. And I've been using all of my little back channels trying to get any morsel of information I can. And there's not much. But... Um, is based on the first book in the series, The Duke and I, which is the story of Daphne and Simon. Um, And we aren't reading that book for a few reasons. I think the big reason is it was very of its time. And the author, Julia Quinn, has talked about how had she done this book again, she probably would have changed some things. Um, Because there's like a pretty notorious example of forced seduction uh, of a Daphne on to Simon. And I feel like it's just a very heavy topic. And I don't know if that's something that I really, I didn't feel like I really wanted to explore it right now. Um, other podcasts have done the Duke and I, and I'm sure other podcasts are going to be doing the Duke and I. Um, so I would say check them out if you want to hear more about that book. Um, I think just for time, also because um, Gregory and Hyacinth are two of my favorite books. Um, and I knew if we sort of did the Duke and I, just time-wise, there, it just wouldn't work out. There would, It would be too much. So it was an executive decision that I made. Most, It's funny, most people uh, in the comments of our Instagram post, they did ask about it, but then others answered them with actually the exact reason. <laughs> so you know, I think you guys were probably pretty hip to to what was going on there. Um, to say, Clayton, that I do think there will still be surprises for you in the in the series, but yeah, you'll they'll all be old friends at that stage, I think. And another giant thing happened yesterday in, in Bridgerton world is we got our first trailer, and it looks gorgeous. I went to uh, RWA the last one that there was <laughs> and um and I saw Julia Quinn speak and I remember she spoke about how like the sets and everything it was so much and they're seriously like putting a lot of time into making everything look perfect and it does and what I really love about the series as much as I could tell from like a two minute you know 
trailer is that it's like very bright. And I feel like that's the thing that sometimes with these older um with these period shows or something like everything is so dark and everything is so depressing. But then if you look at costumes or not costumes, if you look at dresses and clothing from the time, like people dressed very bright colors and people really wanted to express themselves um, and men dressed very flamboyantly too. And I love that they're sort of really taking the time to incorporate that. It just seems like a lot of fun. Um, There's colorblind casting, which obviously is really fantastic because uh, you know, bringing that level of diversity to a period piece is really important just for representation, but also because also for accuracy, because, you know, um, people of color existed in the Regency just like they exist now. And um, yeah, it just looks gorgeous and lush and super fun and super campy and pulpy, which is just like, ah, uh, everything I want, everything I want. I'm so excited for Christmas Day. Well, I didn't watch the trailer Mm-mm. because I don't want to be spoiled. This is such a fundamental difference between the two of us. We're like the idea of me watching a movie, having not seen the trailer, I would never, it would the entire time that I would be driven insane. I need to know what happens at the end. You were even, you're even trying to dig up dirt on the, on the uh, new Bridgerton show. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why Why don't you just want to watch it and watch it unfold? I don't understand that. Because I'm a very curious and nosy person. I remember Shondaland had optioned Bridgertons. I remember where I was when I read it on Deadline. I was in a bar. So it was two years ago and it was on my birthday. And I was like, this means something. <laughs> and I think ultimately means nothing. But and from that moment, I've been obsessed with it and finding out more about it and the people who write on it. And just I just want to know. I'm just like a curious person. I just like want information. But I, curiosity in the in the sense of ruining a narrative, though. It won't, though. I mean, that's the thing. It's like I don't if you tell me the ending of a story, it doesn't it doesn't do anything to my enjoyment of the story. So you don't I, need to be surprised. No, I don't watch movies to be surprised. I watch movies for like the storytelling and the journey and all those things, not sort of like what's going to happen in the last frame. It's it's like irrelevant at a certain stage, you know? How do they get there? Like, what's the journey there? I mean, I always enjoy movies more after I've seen them a few times. I don't even read the back of these books. That's truly, I remember one time I was obsessed with the Saddle Club when I was a kid. It was a wonderful series about three horse-loving girls. As a horse-loving girl, I fit right in. And I re- would read them so quickly. And I remember one time being like, I'm not going to read the back of this book as like a test. I'm just going to read the book to see how I like it. To this day, the anxiety and how much I hated that book <laughs> lives within me because I did not know who to pay attention to. I did not know what was happening. I mean, you like just I re- trust the author. You just pay attention to who you want to pay attention to. I know. I wish now in this moment I could remember who wrote the Saddle Club because truly she's a goddess. Well, also I read romance. I know how they're all going to end. And it does not diminish the joy for me one iota. I guess that's why you love it. That's why you love it because it's the one genre that you know how it's going to end. I mean, you don't know exactly, but you know that it's definitely going to end happy. Right. I know that in the end everything's going to be okay and I think that's what I need. But before we start... 
Mm-hmm. I just want to read a little review that we got on Apple Podcasts. Oh, yes. From Honeymoon Help. And they say, feels like friends. Five-star review. I adore this podcast. It feels like I'm listening to my friends if they liked romance. It's lovely, charming, and funny. That's it. That's the review. It's such a nice, simple review. Thank you so much. We hope that that's what this feels like Mm because we are friends. Mm -hmm. We get a lot of listeners who are like, how can I, you know, how can I promote your podcast? How can I support it? And the, one of the big ways is just give us five stars on on Apple Podcasts. That's mm-hmm. literally like probably the biggest way you could support us at this point is just do that. And if we have – we have a good amount of listeners. And even if a quarter of them do that, that's a whole lot of reviews. Yeah, that's super helpful to us. So, yeah, we appreciate everyone who has taken the time and, and who's going to take the time. It's 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 really nice. Um, also, because so much of podcasting feels like you're just like shouting into the void. And so when we get a review or somebody takes the time to do to write us an email or something, it really is nice because you're like, oh, like the things that I'm saying are connecting with people. And that's always nice to hear. All right, let's get into it. I don't want to wait any longer. Let's judge this cover. So there are a million different covers of this book. I decided to just stick with American covers for brevity. So we have the 2000 edition, we have the 2006 edition, and then we have the 2015 edition. Okay, so the 2000 edition has, it looks like it's rumpled blue sheets, maybe, Mm -hmm. as the background. All of these are very text heavy. This 2000 edition, this color blue, I love. I don't know why. It's just a, how would you describe this blue, Aaron? Because... I'm bad with colors. Other than I know this is blue. Yeah. So I think it's called Alice Blue. So it's a blue that was named after uh, Roosevelt's daughter, Alice. Um, It's like a rich light blue. Yeah. It's hard to explain. I'm so impressed that you knew that much. Uh, (laughs) But I love this blue. For some reason, it's just really resonating with me. Mm -hmm. The... 2006 edition is gloomy as hell i know yeah they dipped in 2006 well i don't know why they it's gray or a green it's like it's like a greenish gray it's almost i don't even know how to describe it and then it looks like it there's like a it's like a desolate outdoor scene it is not good yeah it's like a gazebo on a on a lake but it's like blown out in like a gray blue that's like kind of a little bit depressing i think for what the book is this isn't a very good representation of that no not at all i think the cover designer was having some problems at home (laughs) and hopefully they've been fixed at this point the the 2015 edition i think is really nice it's like a, a a deep red there's a sword, and there's a sword in the first one in the, in the 2000 edition, but it's inside the O. There's a gentleman with a sword inside the O, and he's orange. I agree. I think 2015 is the strongest. I do wonder what the sword is, because it was on the 2000 and the 2015, and I don't remember there being a sword 
it's not like he goes fencing or anything. I do find that, like, I wonder what the symbolism of that is. Um, if anything, it should be a mallet. Right. Anyway, Clayton, so what was this book about? Anthony Bridgerton is the oldest of the Bridgertons. And here's a little quick way you can tell where they are in the lineup of the Bridgerton sons is that they're alphabetical. So we have Anthony, who is the oldest, and he, his father, dies when he's 38 from a bee sting. Anthony, who's the oldest and has had the longest relationship with the father, is devastated by this. They're all devastated, but he's very devastated. And like most young boys, uh, has a hard time believing that he'll ever overtake his father in anything, let alone live longer than him. So Anthony now thinks he will not reach his 39th birthday. This creates a man who is a rake, who doesn't want to fall in love and it's not necessarily, I mean, he doesn't want to fall in love because he's afraid he's going to just die. So he decides, well, he's getting to be a little bit older. He's gone through his period of just, you know, pounding through the, <laughs> the, the area and wants to settle down, have a kid and thinks, ah, my brothers will take care of this kid. It'll be fine. So he sets his sight on Edwina Sheffield, who is beautiful, striking. She's the belle of the ball. And the only issue is that Kate, her older sister, needs to okay whoever Edwina ends up with. And she's not too psyched about Anthony because he is a known rake. So... We all know where this is going, if you're a romance reader. They end up falling in love. But they have to at least deal with their uh, their issues before they can actually be happy. So that's what this book's about. I mean, it's about a lot more, but this is kind of like the overview of it. Perfect. What did you think? That whole concept of the father, it really resonates with, with me. I don't know a guy whose father isn't maybe the most prominent person in their life, even if they don't see them. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I think it might, I don't know if it's similar with women and their moms or even women and their dads, but I have so many conversations with my friends about their fathers and just how they loom. And I I don't want to say loom in like a negative sense, but sometimes it is negative. But a lot of times it it isn't. It's just there. It's just, where was my father at this point in my life? Mm-hmm. What happened to my father and how can I either be like him or not be like him? What would he think of what I'm doing? There's so many things that you think about, I think, as a guy, at least I can, I'm just speaking for myself, that I think that whole looming death is, I just, it totally resonates with me. And I think I understood why Anthony was the way that he was, but I also understand that that's not a way to live. So I don't know if I, I don't know if I loved Anthony as a character in who he was, but I definitely responded to him in his plight. Yeah. 
I I have friends whose parents have passed away, and I think especially when they're like the same gender, like so it's either like women and their mothers or men and their fathers, like the age that their parents died does become this big milestone. And not that any of of my friends who have lost a, a parent think that they're necessarily going to die on that day, but I, I see how that's not a long walk to get there. Um, but I just sort of all my friends who who have experienced that when they turn that age, it, it's a really heady year for them. And it's and it's really tough. And I remember my mother's mother died when she was in her 20s. And I remember when she reached the age that her mother was when she passed away. And it was like a really hard time for her. It was a hard year for her because there is this thing of like, I can't imagine going further than they went. Um, yeah. And I think for Anthony, it's like he so had to take up the mantle of of being like the the man and the protector in um, in his family's life. He has uh, eight siblings or there's eight total. So he has seven siblings. And so he um, and, and I think he was 18 when his father dies. Yes, he was 18. Yeah, late teens, early 20s, at least. And that's a lot to put on, like, a kid at that age, um, especially because of the way that titles work and such. Like, he became the the Viscount. Like, he took his father's title and name, which would be, I think, add a lot of extra, like, headiness to the whole situation. Um and I can see that just obviously he was not going to protect himself by not loving his family because he probably he loved his family already so completely. And so for him, it was just like, here's the one thing that I can really protect my heart from is just falling in love with a woman because already it's going to be hard enough to leave my family. And I don't want to have a hard time trying to leave my spouse. Yes. It's one of those things that like obviously is like demented and, and is <laughs> doesn't make sense. And it's not logical, but it's funny for such an outlandish idea how rooted in truth and emotion it, I feel like it is. Um, it it makes mm-hmm. sense for this character because the father is killed by a bee. Right. And back then, they didn't know that you could be allergic to a bee. So it seems so arbitrary. And it seemed like somebody who was completely healthy was taken down by something bigger, by fate, by Mm -hmm. the universe, as opposed to simply being allergic to bees. And I think that's why Anthony had such a reaction to it, because he thought that it was going to be a bolt out of the blue. He thought it was going to be, you know, in his mind, he's like, anything can take me down. And he has a fear of bees, which we, which isn't funny under the circumstances, but there's a very funny thing that happens where he... (laughs) Where where uh, Kate gets uh, stung by a bee and he tries to suck the poison out on her boobs, which on her boobs, of course, yeah. gotta. Which <laughs> is then what uh, what makes her have to marry him. Mm-hmm. I yeah, and I think um, you know there's a criticism of these books that nothing much happens in them, and it's true like they aren't plot heavy. The way that like a clay pass book is plot heavy. But I do think what these books do that's really interesting, it does just show people 
falling in love. And it shows all the little concessions that you have to make and the misconceptions and how being in love is not necessarily the destination, but it's a place that you grow from. So, yeah, we should talk about Kate a little bit because I find, you know, she's such a perfect person for Anthony a perfect like character opposite because Kate has also experienced like an insane level of tragedy. Her mother dies when she's very young. Her father remarries and thankfully to like a really amazing woman, Mary who raises um, Kate, like she's her own daughter and they also have a daughter, Edwina Kate's younger sister. And then her father passes away and, um, And it's never really spoken in the book, but you could always feel that as much as Kate loves her stepmother, Mary, and as much as Kate loves Edwina, like she feels like she doesn't 100% belong. Like there's an aspect of Kate that always feels like a little bit looking outside, from outside looking in. Um, Physically, she doesn't look like her stepmother, obviously, but she also doesn't look like her stepsister, or not stepsister, her half-sister, who is like the most beautiful woman I guess anyone has ever seen. Um, And Kate is just not ugly, but I think just like not the most beautiful woman (laughs) in the world. And therefore, like the constant contrast always falls against Kate. Um, And I think she takes that seriously and just assumes that good things aren't for her because she has suffered so much tragedy in her life. I get that you just would assume like, well, my mother died when I was a baby. My father died five years ago. I I'm just not somebody who's, who's set up to have a happily ever after or to fall in love. And she had really made peace with that fact because she and her sister come out in London, have the same season because they can't afford two seasons. So they basically wait so they can, you know, do a twofer. And um, there's no point that Kate ever seems like she's ever looking for a partner for herself. She seems to be really on the lookout for Edwina and hating Anthony immediately, but she doesn't expect those things for herself. And I found that to be a very interesting character trait and like, obviously like (laughs) very sad. Mm -hmm. Um, But for what is also like, I don't know, we've talked about like the most heavy subjects in the book. It is like a pretty light, really fun, really bantery book. And you do get to watch Anthony and Kate fall in love through their like banter and antagonism. And I think what's really hard is to do enemies to lovers and to do this level of banter or or despising each other at the beginning. And it never feels cruel. Yes. And I think that's difficult. And it definitely is that like you can tell like through it all that there is simmering attraction between the two of them almost immediately. And it's them each fighting their own like bullshit reasons for not wanting to actually be happy or be with the other person. But there's never a level where it like crosses the line, which is I feel like in a lot of enemies to lovers, there's something said or something done that you're just like, I'm like, I don't know how you get over that. And that doesn't occur here. It's heavy subject matter that's done with a light touch. And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of romances don't do that. A lot of things, a lot of books, a lot of movies don't do that well. And I think from what I've read of Julia Quinn, which is right now two books, I do think that is something that she's very good at. Is you, you, you can think about, it makes you think about these heavy things, but you're always enjoying the situations and what's going on. And I think 
there's a happily ever after element to that where it makes you realize or at least makes you hope that you can have a life that is full of fun and love but there is going to be tragedy and that's mm-hmm. th- that's kind of the trade-off yeah and and the thing that i also really like about this book is like there isn't a villain like there's Cressida Cowper who's like always fucking blows but she's not like really big in the book necessarily no um and I think it would be so easy to write this book and be like well what if her stepmother was a bitch and what if she and her sister was spoiled and they're not it is a book about just like nice people (laughs) who love each other trying really hard to love each other even though Everybody has their own issues, and that's a hard thing to do. And I think that's almost like a little bit harder to write than this person is a bad person. You have to uh, overcome this person's like villainous tendencies. It's harder to disappoint somebody that you love, and it's harder to stand up to somebody you love versus somebody that is cruel to you. So I really liked that. And also just like, I don't know, I know a lot of people who have really lovely step parents (laughs) and half siblings and have good relationships. And I just always like when that is represented as opposed to just like the evilness. It's like people are kind. Well, I think the thing with them, too, it's like I do feel like they when they first meet and interact like there is a spark Mm -hmm. between them. And I think for her, she just doesn't believe that she would be deserving of somebody like Anthony because he's like the guy that everybody wants. He's super handsome. He's well-connected. He's wealthy. I think he's all these things that Kate has made herself believe she doesn't deserve. So instead of feeling the pain of, oh, I kind of want this thing, but I don't think I'm going to get it. She's like, well, I'm just going to convince myself that I don't want this thing. And this thing is actually a bad thing. Um, And I think for Anthony, he probably saw somebody in Kate immediately that, you know, would stand up to him and engaged him intellectually and all those things. And I think Anthony being afraid to fall in love, not wanting to fall in love was like, okay, well, I can't fall in love with this woman. So if I can't fall in love with her, then I have to not like her. But yes, that's the thing is, is it's, it's not them. Like, I hate you now. I love you. It's them sort of like, I love you. So I'm going to try to hate you, but no, actually I just love you. (laughs) You know what I mean? And I just find that more interesting um, and it's sort of that, that spark that they have between each other. Um, and, and the, the other thing is, even though Anthony is going for Edwina because he just wants to marry somebody so he can have a, an heir, Catherine is always being, she, it, she always has to deal with, she loves Edwina, but, but she's always being compared to her. Mm-hmm. And as we know, compare leads to despair. So she, even when her and Anthony get together, Edwina was still, quote unquote, Anthony's first choice. And mm-hmm. he does compare her, which a lot of guys do to try and get on Catherine's good side. He compares her to Edwina, which she hates. When people say, oh, you're just as lovely as your sister or this or that. It's like, I don't even want... That's it's like demeaning. Mm-hmm. And I and I feel like that's she's always worried about being second best, which is difficult because it's hard to look at the good things about yourself when somebody else around you and you're so close to just is looked at as the number one in something. Yeah. 
Well, what I like, too, about this book, it's like halfway through the book, they end up getting married. That's and a like trope you, said, you love, right? Oh, yeah. I love a marriage trope. I love people getting married and then having to figure it out. Like, yeah, that's my favorite. So I just assumed the first time I read this book that it was going to be like them fighting, fighting, fighting. And then finally... He was going to be set to marry Edwina, and at the last moment, he would break the engagement because he was in love with Catherine. That's not what happened, and this is a better book because it wasn't that. Instead, they're at a house party, again, which I love, and Anthony, yeah, the bee thing happens. Anthony sees the bee. He's terrified because he, like, swats at the bee. The bee ends up stinging Cade, and he he tries to, like, suck the venom out because he's just, like... (laughs) bizarre and his mother and her mother and mrs featherington um find them and she's compromised and anthony is like happy about it pretty much he's like okay well i didn't want to have to choose this but it's being chosen for me and so this is good and i think for kate she's more worried because she's like oh okay well i am gonna be married to somebody knowing that i was his second choice and that's like fucking awful to have to think of Mm. Um, but then the second half of the book I thought was so interesting and engaging because it was just about like, okay, well, like, how are these two dummies going to like overcome their own bullshit to be the person that the other person sees them as? Um, and that's what you get. And I don't know. I just love those. I love these kinds of books. Well, and Kate is also terrified of thunderstorms. Mm hmm. And I... I actually can relate to Kate very well too. <laughs> these are these are two protagonists that I'm very much of the same ilk as because I hate thunderstorms. Oh yeah. And I'm better now, but when I was a kid, it was dread city. I was so I can now just talking about it can feel my stomach drop at the thought of a thunderstorm when I was a child. I think living in the city has changed that because for whatever reason, living in apartment buildings feel safer to me than living in a house when it comes to storms because it just feels less likely to get hit by lightning. It feels less likely for a tree to fall on your roof. If you live in a building where you're six stories up, (laughs) <laughs> it, there's just something comforting about being in a city situation with thunderstorms, so I no longer am scared of them. But as a child living in a house, they terrified me. Were you ever afraid of thunderstorms? No. Okay. Uh, not that I remember. I'm like, maybe when I was very little, but I liked storms, I think. I, yeah, I thought that they were really like exciting and counting between the thunder and lightning and stuff I thought was fun. Isn't it like you hear lightning and then you count and that's how many miles away the storm is? If you hear like lightning and then you go like one, two, three, it's three miles away. That might be an old wives tale. That might not be true. <laughs> that was just something I used that to was do that. told to I me as a child. So who knows? I can't remember which way it is. But mm-hmm. I would do the counting thing. That was something I would do to try and think, okay, it's getting further away or <laughs> it's coming closer. And yeah. yeah, I would do that. That was my way of figuring it out. Right. Well, we find out too that Kate has this fear of thunderstorms because her mother died in like the most dramatic death scene I've ever read uh, during a thunderstorm that like broke a tree in half and uh 
and was really traumatic. And so she sort of has to face that fear um, of reliving that experience or kind of knowing that experience because she was three when her mother died. So she doesn't really have a memory of it. Um, but her stepmother, Mary, sort of tells her the story and it and it helps her sort of overcome it. Um, yeah. You don't ever see another thunderstorm after that. So we don't know if she's totally recovered, but I feel like she is. She feels very confident that she is. Um, and I liked after that moment that like sort of she's like, I feel much better now. I know this tr- this hard truth about my life. Uh, and I feel like I can understand where it's coming from because I guess she assumed always when there was a thunderstorm, there's like a part of her id that just assumed she was going to die because she watched her mother die during a thunderstorm. So it makes sense, like a child's brain. And um, I liked you were in Anthony's point of view for some of it. And he's like jealous of her because I think he realizes how nonsensical his fear is of dying at 38, I believe. Um, Mm -hmm. But he doesn't voice it to her until the very end. And also, yeah, that he's he's like, okay, well, she was able to overcome her fear. I can't overcome mine. Like, I'm a little mad about it. So at the end of the book, Anthony realizes that he's in love with his wife, which is the worst thing he could imagine. And he... I think I love my wife. Bounces. Oh, God. Yeah. Just like the the, the Chris Rock vehicle. Um, yeah. He bounces and just goes through, like, a night of torment, basically. Um, and... Kate is obviously like has never felt super secure in the relationship. So she's kind of like, what's happening? Like my husband is running away from me. Anthony doesn't just tell her what's going on. Uh, And then he sort of there's a carriage crash. He pulls her out of the wreckage and sort of realizes that he loves her. And it doesn't matter if he's going to die in eight years. He wants to spend those years with the woman he loves, knowing that she he loves her. So. Um, and spoiler alert, he does. He no. does. <laughs> oh, no. Well, we get two epilogues in this book. So we get one epilogue that is his 38th birthday, which I thought was very sweet, and I really loved it. Um, mm-hmm. And then we get another epilogue that is just a long Paul Mall game. See, okay, here's what Julia Quinn, this, this is what bothers me. I didn't read this second epilogue because... It, she wants to ruin things, and I and and I know that these these editions of these books are mm-hmm. meant for people who've already read the books, right? And I think the, yeah, it's additional stuff from the future that the book buying public and her, the Bridgerton stands want, but somebody who's a virgin like me doesn't want. Because I don't want to be spoiled. So I will read the first epilogues, but I will not be reading the second epilogues because this I've been burned before by those. Yeah. I mean, the only thing you learn in the second epilogue is that Colin... Wait, 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 wait. Did... But you already read the book. You already read Romancing Mr. Bridgerton, so it's not a spoiler. Well, but how many people read the fourth book before they read the second book? <laughs> Just us. Um, so yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, it's a, it's a really cute scene. And I think it is a scene, like if you love the Bridgertons and you just want to see more, then that's what it is. It doesn't add a ton. And I might read it at the end of this whole journey. Mm -hmm. 
read the second epilogues, but but right now I don't want to. That's okay. It is nice to see Kate and Anthony just sort of how their relationship has evolved and how much like genuine fun they have with each other, which I think is something that sometimes gets lost in these couples that are like a bit more dramatic. It's just like, oh, yeah. And then they just kind of like hang out and are silly and have inside jokes and play with each other. And that's fun to see, too, because I just want people to be happy. And I love couples that are competitive with during games but don't Mm -hmm. translate that over to the rest of their lives right like there's a level that then it becomes gross and i do love that they're all competing with each other but it's you never feel that power imbalance that anthony is lording something over her like they feel very evenly matched always so you know even when they're stealing things from each other and stuff you're like all right well they're going to keep getting each other back and this is and they both are genuinely having fun with this it's no one's taking it too seriously now i had no clue Mm -hmm. that paul mall was a game and that's what they named the cigarette brand after correct oh i always thought paul mall was just croquet yeah, but th- that's but that's what I mean. It's like I had no clue what those words meant. Oh yeah, uh, I mean, I I didn't occur to me that there was the cigarette brand until right this moment. I don't really know what they yeah. look like, but I just remember that being a brand that people could buy back when I was a kid. I think you could still buy them now. I think they probably still exist. I know when we were kids. Remember, there used to be like cigarette machines in restaurants. <laughs> I think they still are. I've been to restaurants where there's still cigarette machines. That's wild. All the restaurants I know growing up that had them don't anymore. Well, people could smoke in malls. and People could smoke on those, airplanes. There was those trash cans. When I was a kid, mm-hmm. I loved <laughs> This is so bad. So there was, I don't know if the malls you would go to had these, but they were trash cans. That the top of the trash can was like sand that you could put your cigarette out in. It was an ashtray. Yeah. Yeah. But no, it's like it was like full of sand. Yeah. And you'd stick your cigarettes in there. And sometimes when I was bored as a kid, I'd play with the sand in the, oh. uh, with all the cigarette butts. <laughs> I know that's a child of the 80s just like zero supervision no my mom was around I was just like you know she was busy so here's the big question Aaron would you fuck them oh yes and yes totally I I would but you know what it's funny because I I wasn't physically really attracted to either of them it, it, it it's not like a carnal thing for me. I just really like them as people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's weird. It's it's kind of weird for me to to feel like want to fuck them. But I I I mean I would. I I'd get myself there. <laughs> but do you kind of know what I'm saying? I feel like. Yeah, I feel like Kate didn't describe Anthony a ton. She just sort of said, like, the floppy hair, which I love. Um, But the actor who's going to play Anthony, you wouldn't know, but is also very handsome. So I was sort of picturing him during this. So I was like, oh, I'm into it. They haven't cast Kate. And so 
but Kate, she was like, she has like a big mouth with, with pillowy lips and, and like luscious hair and all this stuff. I was like, no, I thought Kate sounded like very attractive. So that's another reason I don't want to watch the trailer is because mm-hmm. I don't want, I I want to picture these people myself. Yeah. At least with my initial reading. I think this is the perfect time for us to be doing these books because then, like I said earlier, I can just watch it. We can all watch it around Christmas and I won't feel like I don't need to read these books or not want to read these books because I think I, I'm really enjoying these books. And mm-hmm. also as a romance, I mean, this is part of my education. I feel like this is yeah. a very important part of my education and I don't want it to be spoiled. All right. Should we do Goodreads list? Yes. Favorite historical romance novels. I could see that. Yeah. This is this is why I love doing these rereads of these series is because I think if somebody was like, oh, what's a great romance novel for me to read? I don't know that I would say this one. But I do think it's like what it does is really interesting. And I would definitely recommend it to anybody. Like I do think it's a book that can be read as a standalone and is is really well done. So uh, yes, humorous romance books. Yeah, the banter is great. Yeah, super funny, super fun. Julia Quinn is very good at dialogue. And like turns mm-hmm. of phrases and stuff. And like there's a lot of very witty people in her books, which I think is obviously hard if you are not yourself a witty person. <laughs> Clearly she is. Um, best rogue rake romance books. Yeah, he's a rogue. He's rake. Uh, best historical romances where the quiet, unusual girl gets the guy. I mean, she's not quiet. I mean- yeah, she's not really quiet. This is a, always a hard one because unusual is such a vague term, too. Right, because it's not like she's even particularly unusual. It's not like people don't like her. I think it's just like they always compare her to her sister. But yeah. it's not like she's, I don't know. I Like, you know, we read books about women who are like horticulturists or who are paleontologists or something. And I'm like, okay, well, I get how in that time you'd be like, okay, well, that's a bit unusual. But, yeah, you know, she's not so unusual. Uh, so I say not on the list. I say take it off the list immediately. Best historical romance. Married couples. I would say yes. Uh, Yeah. Plain Jane and hot stud romance novels. Uh, again, I mean, he's a hot stud, I guess. But she's not a plain Jane. She's just not as perfect looking as Edwina. Right. Right. Like on her own, she's probably like very pretty, but it's like, I don't know if you take like the prettiest girl from your high school and put her against like Angelina Jolie, she's going to fall short, but that doesn't mean that she's an uggo, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, witty historical romance books. Yeah. Bad boys meet the virgins. I mean, he's a bad boy, but he's not a bad boy. No, he's hardly from like the wrong side of the tracks or anything. I wouldn't call him a bad boy. Because also it seems like he was having affairs with like opera singers and stuff, which seems like pretty de rigueur. So I, yeah, I think it's fine. Um, Compromised historical romance. Yes. Very funny Mm -hmm. compromising scene. I know. It's such a fun way to do that instead of just like they were in a room together. It's like you were straight up sucking on her titty in front of your mom. Like you have to marry her. I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah, that's some dirty shit. So maybe uh, he is a bad boy. You know what? Yeah. 
Put them on that list. Take it back. All right. Odd couples, opposites attract in romance novels. I don't know if they're see we're deep we're we're digging deeper into these lists than we need to be. Like I mean I, I don't know if they're necessarily like odd couple in the sense of one's a slob, one's super prissy. Like they're not they're not odd with each other. I think their issues need to be dealt with, but I wouldn't call them an odd couple. I don't think so either. I think that's like a specific trope that I don't think that that they fall into. So take them off the list. My favorite Julia Quinn novel. Can't say yet. Yeah. For us, I could, I'd be surprised if this is someone's favorite. But since it's a list, there's going to be more than one novel. It's not, because my favorite Julia Quinn novel as a list means that it's just one book, which is not a list. (laughs) Right. So either this is this list is uh, missing an S, or it's not a list. I guess, yeah. I think that the the Viscount Who Loved Me is up there, though, for popularity for people. I feel like I hear about that one a lot. Um, I mean, I really loved it, but I don't know if it's just that's the one I read most recently, so I think it is my favorite. I think we'll have to revisit that at the end when we're done with the series and look back and to see what we loved the most. And add an S to this, or it's not a list. Right, exactly, totally. Best male character. I like him, but I I can't say he's like a favorite. Yeah, but he's one of those two that if somebody was like, "Oh, Anthony is my favorite Bridgerton," I'd be like, "All right, I get it." Yeah, not mine, but like against him. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, Tortured heroes of historical romance. Yeah, he's he's tortured, but he doesn't. It's not. So it doesn't depress you, mm-hmm. which I think is yeah. good, at least in this context. Gorgeous and grumpy. I mean, is he grumpy? I think to her, he's grumpy. I think she brings out a side of him that's very grumpy. Like if you think about when they're, uh, when Edwina falls into the serpentine and he has to be like, all right, you take her, he's all grumpy. Like she, he, she gets him there. I don't think he's, he, his natural disposition isn't grumpy though. I think maybe for me reading this as a, a dude, I, I just feel like grumpy is kind of, I think most guys can be grumpy. Mm-hmm. I think it's something that we are at certain times and it can be very annoying for our, par- our partners. And so when when somebody has to be extremely grumpy all the time for me to refer to them as grumpy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You- I think there are grumpier heroes and he's not. Yeah. So I guess I say take it off the list. That's what I say. (laughs) Books with close siblings. Yes. And I think all of the Julia Quinn, these Bridgerton books are going to fall on that list. Right. Totally. Except for poor Francesca by herself in Scotland. Um, Best beauty is in the eye of the beholder books. Again, she's still very, very pretty. Yeah, I think there are other books where the hero or the heroine are, like, just not attractive by, like, society's standards at all. And the their partner finds them attractive. I don't think that's what it is here because I feel like Kate is not treated that way when she's on her own. It's only the comparison that makes it, you know, a problem. Yes. Uh, funny, witty romance novels. 
Yep. Best character-driven historical romance. I would say, yeah. I mean, I like that the, uh, the action is driven by them. And and like you said, a lot of people say, well, nothing happens in this book. Uh, internally, a lot happens. Right. Yeah, I would say this is a very good character-driven historical. Yeah, totally. I would keep it on the list. Um, and then finally, not actually finally, because there's like 12 pages of lists. I wasn't going to put them all on here. Books you want made as a movie. I could see that, but you're getting a TV show, which yeah. is 2020. <laughs> All right, Clayton. So those that's the list. And what are your tropes? My tropes are enemies to lover, married halfway through, rake, rogue, hero and heroine with phobia mm-hmm. because they have phobias, close family, good families, which is such a rarity in romance. And mm-hmm. fat dogs. Ah, Newton. I loved him. I love a corgi. I'm just not a fan. I the animal hijinks in romance books. I'm not a huge fan of. Would you love it more if it was a ferret? I would hate it so much <laughs> more if it was a ferret. I don't hate the corgi scenes. I don't hate the Newton scenes. Uh, but if it was a ferret, I definitely would. I would just question, I would question this podcast and why we do it (laughs) and and why ferrets are so prevalent in romance. I know. We never got to the bottom of it. No, no, I love a corgi too. My parents were watching their friend's corgi and I like truly fell in love with her. I was obsessed. We were taking her for rides in the golf cart. We had so much fun. Um, It's all about the base on the corgi. I know. And they're big butts. They got such fun butts. I know. They're so cute. Um, all right. Erin, yeah, cl- what are your mm-hmm. tropes? Oh, what are my tropes? My tropes are, I mean, here's my favorite trope that I can't believe I haven't brought up before. It's when there is a house party or something and the main character can't sleep. So they go down to the library to find a book to help them fall asleep. And who's there but their love interest? I love a middle of the night chance meeting in a library during a house party. It's my favorite. That's great. Um, enemies to lovers, heroin with self-esteem issues, ugly sister in quotation marks because she's not ugly, rake, uh, engaged to the wrong person. He never actually gets engaged to her, but just she feels it that it's the wrong person and he's almost engaged to Andrea. Here is a rogue compromised gossip. Obviously little whistle lady whistle down is heavily featured in this book. Um, and a lot of gossip is sort of, uh, is threaded through the whole story. Uh, marriage, then love, even though I think they loved each other before, but they didn't say it until they had been married for a while. Banter, house parties, irrational fears. Uh, I can't fall in love with you and they can't, love me back because Kate just assumes that her husband is never going to love her. Those are my tropes. Nice. All right, Clayton. So what has you swooning? Well, so what I'm swooning about is a show on HBO, which I watch on HBO Max called How to with John Wilson. It is a show that is produced by Nathan Fielder, who, if nobody knows who he is, is he did a show called Nathan for You that was on Comedy Central. Oh, that yeah. That is one of the most brilliant comedic shows 
probably in the last 20 years, I would say. No hyperbole there. It's so mm-hmm. great and awesome. And the reason I watch this is because he's producing it. He doesn't he doesn't do anything on camera. The thing with this is John Wilson is a guy who lives in New York who shoots a lot of footage. He's a documentarian. And it's a point of view. So he's just shooting things around the city, interviewing people. But they all have an overarching subject. But it goes astray a little bit it's it's hard to explain it's very it's it's really funny but it's not funny in a laugh out loud way it's also very poignant but he chronicles day-to-day life with a skewed kind of vision and it's very hard to describe other than if you watch it i would recommend the second episode there's there's six episodes and only two have come out as of this recording how to put up scaffolding is the second episode. I would say watch that one because it's it, it's just very interesting. Uh, I really like it. I think it's a definitely a, a tone you have to get used to. I don't know if it's for everybody, but I mm-hmm. really I've really gotten into it and I recommend it. So how to with John Wilson on HBO or HBO Max? It's my swoon. Aaron, what has you swooning? So I am swooning about a TV show. No surprise there. Um, so it's a show on Nat Geo, but it's on Hulu. So just look for it on Hulu. It's called Barkskins. And so it's based on the Annie Prue book of the same name. And it's all about um, the Acadians in Canada in like the 1700s. I was recommended it because I'm writing a script right now and one of the characters is Acadian. And so they were like, oh, have you seen this? It's uh, so well done. It's brilliantly shot. I'm surprised that it isn't more in the zeitgeist because it's 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 such a good show that is so well written and well filmed and well acted. Um, even though... Uh, the show the showrunner's a dude and most of the writers room are guys it has a lot of really interesting parts for women and uh, all of the female characters have a ton of agency and like stories and stuff which is like sad to say that that isn't something that's like necessarily um a guarantee um and so Marsha Gay Harden is in it she's i think the like the most well-known uh actor in it um and then a lot of like British character actors but it's it's really fantastic it's one of those uh shows where there's like five different stories that are constantly over or intersecting it was supposed to be just a mini series like an eight episode mini series but apparently it did so well um that they have commissioned a second season which will be coming out I think in June or July um so it's really great. So check it out. It's called Barkskins. It's on Hulu. Aaron, how can they find us? All right. Yeah. So you can always email us at learningthetropespodcast at gmail.com. Email us your recommendations, your thoughts. We had um, someone email us their swoon. So possibly maybe in the future we'll start adding swoons, you know, audience swoons I think could be really fun uh we're on Twitter at Learning Tropes we're on Instagram at Learning the Tropes we still have our Facebook group the Learning the Tropes Troops so come visit us there we have merch uh check out the link in our show notes uh to get any merch Christmas is coming um 
Tee Public is doing a ton of different sales leading up to Christmas. So there's, a, you know, you'll be able to get a good deal on some merch. Perfect for stockings. Perfect for stocking stuffers. Mm-hmm. You can't yeah. give people oranges and cashews anymore. That's old school. No. And so our next episode, no one's going to be surprised, is an offer from a gentleman. It is Benedict's book from, of course, Juliet Quinn. It is the third in the Bridgerton series. Um, So if you haven't already started reading that, start reading it. We'll be talking about it next week. Um, I'm really excited uh, for that and to continue the Bridgerton uh, read-along. If you guys have any thoughts about the Bridgertons, what's your favorite book? Who's your favorite hero? anything like that email us uh you know we love to to keep the discussion going or, or comment on our insta or in our facebook group um learning the tropes is a part of the frolic podcast network find more podcasts you love at frolic.media backslash podcast all right bye guys bye